Hello and welcome to another edition of Indie Apocalypse Radio. I am oh I did. I was I was like, I'm doing so good, I hit all the things. And then I worried for a moment that I did not hit record, but I hit record. Like a pro that I am. Welcome again to the show. I am of course Andrew, the host of uh Indie Apocalypse Radio, that being the kind of splinter radio show associated with the greater uh, alternative underground indie anthology indie game anthology uh, indie apocalypse we are here today with two guests who have nothing to do with indie apocalypse outside of uh, the broader space of games perhaps but that's part of 2024 it's my goal is like what if i just emailed anybody and like hey do you want to be on this show and they might go yes they might go no they might simply not answer an email but here we have two people who answered an email and said yes. Our first guest, who you may know uh, uh, from uh, either her own personal work or the game Hill Agency Purity, Purity Decay, uh, it's Megan Bird. Megan, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you. Uh, so, sorry, what was that? Oh, that's me. Okay. <laughs> that's me. Uh-oh. Um, hello. Um, so, in first question, uh, for people who are, are are perhaps unfamiliar, how would you describe uh, Hill Agency, Purity of Decay? Uh, I mean, the simple one line I've given people is it's an indigenous cyber noir detective game. Yes. Yeah. Which is that's, very- that, that's the one line. Usually the question I then get is, what's cyber noir? Which oh, okay. I feel like at this point isn't really a question since it's become its own genre. Right. Um, right. But it actually was a term we stole from jazz. Like the the, the, the musical genre? Music. Yeah, the, the musical genre. Apparently cyber noir. Because I was just like, ooh, throw some words together that sound cool. Yeah, cyber noir started as a jazz uh, sound movement. Okay. Where you essentially take you took traditional jazz instruments and kind of put them through a synthesizer. Uh, okay, now I'm like, okay, yeah. I mean, that makes listen. Music has got it all figured out when it comes to having a dense number of <laughs> inscrutable genres. Yes, yes, I am here for the inscrutable genres. Like, like uh, vaporwave has. Well, vaporwave is now it's kind of its own niche, but yeah. As an umbrella term, I think it's got something like 20 subgenres to it. Right, right. There's a million, you know, there exists within it Simpsons wave, you know? Yes. There's, there's, I was playing, I played at the top of this show, uh, music from the Weather Channel, because it's sick as hell. And that is. I love that. And that is like somewhere between like that, like jazzy kind of like, but like you feel like someone listened to that was get vaporwave in their brain you know and they're like huh let me let me figure this out yeah i mean but that sort of like mall i don't know what would you call muzak yeah and then the fact that you're taking it in while it's being processed through these like low quality speakers in a large cavernous room because um, you know malls never paid to actually get a proper sound installation they're no. just like <laughs> let's take these computer like meant for your old pc style speakers and just like crank them up to 11 and yeah the distortion's part of it yeah and, and then you get like little flavors as you pass individual stores and kiosks which are also playing their own music and yeah and, and i think that's it's funny how 
you know, when we think about how culture is consumed, uh, especially when people are doing like the historical stuff and they're recording things and what they're always obsessed with is getting like the highest fidelity recording. They're totally forgetting a lot of times that that's not how it was consumed. It was consumed through these like low quality speakers yeah. so that the actual synthesis of that culture was not this high quality soundtrack or, or, you know, film or anything like that. Like, I, I think this is a thing that so I'm a bit of a cinephile. Yeah. This is kind of a thing I've been having an issue with, with these high def remakes and you can't get the film versions anymore. And yeah, right. the high def digital remake does not look as good on the big screen as the film does because it was designed for film it was it considered the medium first before it considered like what it was what it was filming um and so then it's just yeah, i just feel like there's this whole disconnect in the space of uh historical conservation uh, not usually with the actual conservators i think because there's a legitimate reason for wanting to have a high def high quality recording but for those who then turn around and like here consume this now this is exactly what you would have gotten then i'm like no it's not no right, it's not yeah. <laughs> right there's like i mean ch chances are you i mean you might get it on like a f projector on a film screen which you know you're already going through two different like non experiences you're not going to get on home in both like you know the projection service and the the surface you're seeing the film on but then also like how many people were seeing things in you know cinemas and not just like at right? home or yeah yeah because like the 90s would have been the dawn yeah most people who started consuming cinema you know big c cinema would have consumed it through television with this made for tv edit or had it cut into pieces so that you could have commercials in between and so you're going to be getting these like different experiences by watching it there versus like watching it on the big screen like i can't remember i feel like a lot of rom-coms i saw as a kid were all on like city tv sunday afternoon kind yeah. of thing and like there there it's even more apparent to me at the time how like vapid these stories were because they would cut go to commercial for like what i think the max you were allowed was five minutes but that's a five minute break in the story and then you'd come back and you'd feel like i haven't missed i i like i i've i've not emotionally disconnected because i never emotionally connected in the first place right right because <laughs> you're not like oh no i lost the thread there's like uh, you're like there's no thread <laughs> right right especially if you're on your third one and you're like oh i know what the thread is the thread is all the same it's just like uh, no, I, it was funny too. Yeah. What I was gonna say, you oh, see it in the reverse sometimes. With, if you're watching TV shows after the fact and you feel a commercial break in like the cut of the of the show, it's, you like know because everything just unnaturally like halts for a second. You're right. like, what's happening? Or or a scene like sometimes the scene will like repeat itself a little bit, like yeah. if it ends on a dramatic beat because you want that dramatic beat to scoop you right back in once the commercial's over. Yes. And it, yeah, it creates this weird kind of like, yeah, we, they were not playing flax in malls, you know, no, <laughs> on, <no. laughs> uh, on the, on the finest things. And, you know, people, believe it or not, people still go to malls. Sort they of. do. I mean, we, I'm in Hamilton, Ontario. We have, we have a mall. People still go. It's also very depressing. 
I have two within driving distance. Uh, one is depressing. One is like it's like it hasn't changed at all. It's still fully loaded. Teens everywhere. Damn. Mall walkers, the the whole crew, like it's like, oh, this is just as it was 10, 20 years ago. But people have fo- there's there's phone charging stations now. Yes. And well, I feel like we have one of those too. So we've got we, we call it the mountain. It's a plateau. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we've got the like the mall in the downtown proper, which yeah is depressing. And then yeah, we've got that big owned by that major chain that owns like basically every giant mall in the entire area or province. And yeah, it always looks good because I, I feel like they have a mandate to make it or, or keep it from looking bad. Um, yeah. So they'll, yeah. So they always have stores and they always have the latest stores. Yeah. Well, the, the depressing mall had an escape room in it, which I see, which I believe is like the, the death knell of a business. One. Yeah, <laughs> when I we've had the- got some doctors' offices that have moved in on the ground floor, and yeah. for me, that's the death nail of like it's not going to be a shopping mall very long. It's going to be like a service mall soon. Right, right. I I can't remember when I remember when I realized that like oh, all these escape rooms are in the shells of dead businesses. That's why it's such a viable like business because it's like look at yeah. all these closed businesses. Yes. Yeah. And it's so it's so nuts to me that the mall was designed around. I mean, the mall is very much designed by suburban raised, not even like silent generation that did not understand what a market was. Right. It's just kind of what are okay. What now? This is an important question. What What are the flagship stores of a Canadian mall, would you say? You know, the, like flagship, the, ones that, um, the ones that get like a big outward facing, uh, like they are the entrance points. Oh, well, okay. So we've got the Bay, okay. uh, which is like the oldest company in Canada. It's actually the reason why Canada was colonized. Um, you've got, you did used to have Sears, which was the other one. That's gone. Uh, you used to have Eaton's. That's gone. Uh, so now, so it's just the Bay. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, the Bay has, like, these, like, spinoffs. Like, it, Zeller's has come back. It's, like, the Bay, but for poor people. Oh, um, yes. That is kind of how they sold it. I mean, they right. used, like, nicer language, but that is really how they were selling it. Uh, then you've got, like, so Loblaws is our sort of grocery and pharmacy megacore, and they've got a bunch of businesses. So you'll, so they also run shoppers drug mart which is like the major you know pharmacy store or yeah. or yeah so that'll be there there is always a starbucks because there's never not a starbucks oh man what else are the big ones i feel like those are yeah i feel like those are the big ones oh, that makes sense because they're usually in my experience stateside is usually like department store kind of things you know that are like the the anchors and all the little little stores within inside are just like where you get like your DVDs and those yeah. sorts of things. It's it, mostly fashion yeah. stores. Like so, it's always this like rotating. Like there's always too many clothing stores. Right, right, and that seem they don't seem similar enough to one or seem a little too similar to one another uh, to uh, function in such close proximity to each other. Well, but you can you can almost like look at them as sort of like. Okay, so you are from this socioeconomic uh, ethnic yes. background. 
you are ages 12 to 14, shop at this store. Are you 20 to 25 or 30? Shop at this store. Are you 40 and over? Shop at, like, that's, like, it's literally set up as we know you're in a particular, like, socioeconomic ethnic group. So we've just broken these stores up into age ranges. Right, right. And that is, you know, it's it, it kind of, and in this kind of, I think, uh, attention to detail kind of helps when you create digital spaces too, you know? Yeah. Because it's like it shows like, oh, you like paying attention to the world around you uh, is an important thing. And it feels like, you know, it's how you can notice when people feel out of touch when things just kind of like don't make sense or like, you know, the storefront sort of things are missing and that kind of thing. Yeah. And that actually was a big part in the designing of Hill Agency was just thinking about like, okay, so this is. This is what's going on politically, economically, socially in this space, in this area. Uh, how, what kind of impact does that have on the buildings? What do they look like? What kind of stores exist? New buildings, what did those look like? Well, who are they for? What purpose do they serve? Uh, like, we put so much thought into that when we were designing the spaces. And that has been the one big compliment I think we've had, that these spaces feel, I guess, real, for lack yeah. of a better word. Yeah, it's a kind of like hard to quantify thing, but it's it, it makes sense when like sometimes things are not like perfectly like part of it is realizing that uh, sometimes spaces, real life spaces are not perfectly designed, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and also trying to do a lot of like hinting at or storytelling with the environment. Yeah. Which I have noticed some people is just like, flying over their head I, I feel like what what's happened is at this point because i think uh for so long i think for the last almost decade and a half or maybe two decades environments and games have felt very just slapdash we didn't think about it or we thought about it but we didn't think about it in terms of like like the reality or the viability of what this would be in a real space. Right. So like a lot of craftsmanship went into making it look beautiful, but not a lot of thought went into like, well, does it make sense for this old wild west town to have this space? If you're like, like does it make sense for them to have a brothel? If you're also telling us that there's a rat, like a raging particular Christian group that hates this stuff, like, and that hasn't been worked into the narrative or there hasn't been anything worked into the environment to explain like they're okay with it because it's in this location, especially because sometimes it's like, it's right front and center. Right. And then the mayor is like, Oh, we don't like this stuff. And you're like, but you allowed it. Like, okay. So, so yeah, like that kind of stuff. And so I think a lot of people who play these games just ignore it at this point. They don't, they just be like, it doesn't make any sense. I'm just going to assume uh, not like malice, but just like lack of attention yeah. and care for the designers. Or it's like not a, not like a design goal of like no, we just plop the these like buildings that need to exist within a space, and they all are all there. And but it's like their their function to each other is not a thing that's like thought about. I'm thinking about cities a lot, I guess, because I'm playing. Uh, oh, hello there. I didn't know you were hidden. Sorry about chat. I didn't know you were hidden down there. I was <laughs> underneath my Discord. <laughs> um, yeah, mostly because I've been playing a lot of 
uh, like a dragon lately, which is like, you know, they use the same space for like 20 years. Yeah. And it's like very clearly like, hey, look, this is like the space it exists in. And this is, you know, it feels like I, I know it as well as I know my hometown at this point. It's very weird. Yeah. Yeah. And stuff like, um, uh, Skyrim and or not Skyrim. Um, oh shoot, what was the one that came before that I'm blanking on? Uh, El I was gonna yeah, say El Elder Scrolls, but that's obviously Oblivion. Oblivion, yeah, Oblivion. Like that felt like a real place that you could like, yeah, you could memorize, and the streets didn't feel all the same, and you knew where things were just by like because you'd been there for so long. Yeah, like that kind of design kind of fell to the wayside. I think in almost like search of the cool yeah of, but also you know we've seen unprecedented levels of exploitation in our industry which was already bad beforehand but then you started getting these like pipeline schools that were just like pumping out cheap young labor and you know like how many times have i have i heard from people who like got their start making rocks and I was like, well, how many years were you working on that? They're like, five. I was like, how many like how many rocks does a studio need built? Like, are they not keeping like studios aren't keeping libraries of like easy access? So they're yeah, remaking that... everything all the time. I, I I was watching a video of something and someone was like the person was complaining yeah. that uh oh, I can't believe this studio reused this this space that was used in like another game or is like used for like a free ass. I'm like, that's, that's the point of like, if games want to, if games want to be movies, they need to learn about, uh, don't rebuild every single set, you know? Uh, yes, exactly. Um, and that's how we kind of design. We actually did design Hill Agency that way as, um, movie sets, or I guess maybe when we were talking about it, we were thinking more along the lines of um, theme park design. Yeah. Where, yeah. because you don't, you, you'll know for sure, like in our game, it's, it's locked in terms of where the camera moves and in the sort of areas that you can actually get to. So we did have a higher level of control, but also, you know, if a player is moving around and they're able to kind of go like down into things, then we needed to make sure that, you know, they didn't just suddenly come into a quote-unquote backroom-style area, so we had to be, like, conscientious of... Yeah, designing it almost like... Yeah, like a theme park in yeah. terms of... Yeah, yeah, it should feel like a real yeah. space, but also we're cognizant of the fact that you're a visitor, and we don't want to build every single little thing. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it as in terms of, like, the, the theme park analogy before, but that makes, like a lot of sense in terms of like oh yeah like let's design this and like as a play space but like a coherent kind of play space so yes it's silly that there is a giant castle then also a pirate place and then also uh whatever else disney has um but uh, i don't know uh uh I'm trying to a mountain they have a mountain right <laughs> oh there's always a mountain they have they must have some <laughs> kind of mountain a space mountain yes they have a space mountain yes um <laughs> uh, but yeah, like like mentioned by friend of the show, Disco Disco uh, Disco Graffet in the chat. I think it is kind of like uh, you know, there's no budget for it. <laughs> um, there is is part of like oh, oh, yeah. we, we have to you know making the the game world so to speak um, takes a priority, I'd imagine, and then you know making a 
a the the living world inside of it is like running up against the end of your budget and it's like well yeah, exactly we don't have uh the the space to uh you know design this kind of like theoretical world that we want um we like because this game has to come out it has to make money and it's like you fools <laughs> jokes on you <laughs> i don't make any money and <laughs> Yeah, I don't make any money. There's no money here. When you don't make money, you're free. You're truly free. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's that's been Hill Agency. It hasn't really... Hasn't connected. I think... I'm not surprised. It's it's apparently too much of an adventure game for visual novel players, but too much of a visual novel for adventure players. Ah, yes. The true, the true curse. <laughs> I uh, know. They both hate us. <laughs> yeah, I've that's my experience has been it's true it's too gamer for art people to art for the gamers. Yes, yes, I have that problem too. Cause like um well you, you saw it a night call, which right, is yeah. Like, yeah was own, supposed your own, your own personal work even more abstract. Super abstract. And I you know, well I do a lot of work around like uh utopia building and and thinking. Because, like, one of my big things is we've gone through, like, uh, capitalist realism for so long now that yeah. it's it's not, it's at the point that, like, the old, the adage, uh, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism is, like, it's not even a joke anymore. It's not funny <laughs> because we really are lacking people just coming up with new options and exploring them. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do that. So a lot of my, yeah, my personal work is just, building these little environments that take place in a post post capitalist post car world yeah and just kind of presenting them as like hey would you want to live here check it out walk around um it's it's I, one of my things with when it comes to like utopias thinking like everyone goes on and on about like Oh, it's just so unrealistic. I'm like, capitalism is utopic thinking. Like this, if we just had X, Y, Z, or if ABC was perfect, capitalism would work. I'm like that's utopic thinking. Right, right. Like, oh, we're all we're all producing exactly what we need to do. It's a perfectly efficient society. But uh, but no, because no. <laughs> it, it runs into the same problems you would accuse utopias of. It's like. But what if people don't? What if people uh, are bad actors? Well, that's the problem with capitalism. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe we should consider people could be bad actors, and how should those systems work? I mean, yeah. that's a big problem with objectivism too, right? It's like, oh, it doesn't work because we haven't reached perfect society yet. So what you're telling is me is we shouldn't be doing objectivism until we've hit that perfect society. And so all this going on about libertarianism and everything is a waste of time. Is that what you're trying to tell me? See, no, the, the problem is we're just, we'll never be perfect. We're flailing, we're flailing animals who think too much. Uh, uh, we are, we are how the universe knows itself and oh my God, we struggle. I mean, at the same time though, we, I think we, we need to like give as a, as a species ourselves a bit of credit. We've only yeah. been doing this like city philosophy thing for like 10,000 years and we've been around for 300,000. So like yeah. <laughs> new to this. Right. Right. You know, I, I live in a country that's only not even 300 years old or 300. Yeah. yeah. No, not 300. It would be 70. It would be Barely. 20, 70. It'd be 2070s. Yeah. So, 
and that's even 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 my own and i live in the old in the in the what's the word the the old part of a new country yeah which itself is like i talk about oh you said my stuff is so old and people from europe are like huh 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 what do you mean and i'm like uh it's I mean, it is called the New England. It can't be that old. <laughs> uh, but speaking of old, uh, Megan, we got a couple questions here. Uh, the Indiepocalypse standby questions here in the chat. or Not the chat, but in my com slash questions where you send questions. Uh, yes. Yes. I can. I was, I, I was going to put it later, but I can put it right now as well. Uh, let me find... Megan's stuff in a moment. Where are my tabs? Oh, I closed all my social media tabs. <laughs> That's why I can't find them. But while I'm finding these, Megan, what's your favorite type of rock? Are we talking musically or oh, geo? That, that is all up to you. <laughs> That's all up to me. Um, I mean, my favorite kind of rock in terms of geologically speech, speaking is lime, uh, lime rock? Limestone? Limestone. Uh, yes. Just because I'm really big into um, uh, fossils and stuff like that. And I just, I love how limestone, limestone's basically just the the fine silt from ancient oceans that turned into clay and trapped things in it. So I was like, and then the fact that what I love about limestone is when it's being used, people talk about how delicate it is. It just washes away. That stuff was deadly when it was like clay so I, I love i love that about it that it used to be very dangerous then it dried and now it's fragile as hell yeah that, that so much of it is uh you think a lot about rocks you know there's a lot going on with those things uh and the, the follow-up question is uh now this is important that this is not a what this is a do do you have a favorite toho character toho oh toho. like the animation studio no, no. This is my me running up against pronunciation problems again. The 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 long running uh, Bullet Hell Dojin franchise. Oh, I cannot play Bullet Hells. <laughs> well, they have other. They they have like an open license, so there's all sorts of games in that style. But I'll take that as a no. No, I do not. <laughs> well, perfect. Uh, well, those questions. Eagle-eared listeners will know uh, that means we Megan we fit the end of our segment surprisingly. Like I said, that twenty minutes it goes fast. It does go fast. Okay, I will think more about the Toho question yes. though. I'm gonna go check. First. Okay, yeah, look at some pictures and be like, huh, which ones of these do I like? In the meantime, uh, we're gonna go on break and we'll be back with our next guest in uh, roughly where is my little foobar? Roughly two minutes and fifteen seconds. Uh, goodbye for now. Hello and welcome back to uh, Indiepocalypse Radio. That was the Lapetites with avoid sh avoiding shopping. I also want to issue a correction. I got I got hit by the the metadata curse last last week when I played a Harumi Hosono track, and it said it was from 2022, but no, that's a lie. It was from 1973. But I got hit by the re-release bug. But anyway, that's just my particular bit of bookkeeping for the, uh, you know, 
six people, six to seven people who see that and go, that date's wrong. Uh, I I know. I, I thought I was cursed by it. But speaking of, uh, we're welcome back to the show. We've got our next guest here. Also, like I used to heard, not really the apocalypse at all, but the doors are even more open than they've ever been. We're entering the new era of just, hey, let's just hang out more. Um, from, I don't know, the the world of games writing, some uh, a fine PC gamer perhaps is a home base, is Dominic Tarrison. Dominic, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. Do you have and a... Yeah, I've, I write for a lot of places. Yes. And at the moment, um, I just consider myself a super generalist, indie-focused games writer. Yeah, that's... And and the, the the thing I've been thinking about recently, um, um, because I imagine you've been in the game for a while, uh, as it were, and I I saw something like, oh, India has changed in the last ten twenty years, and I feel like it hasn't. You know, it's kind of like I or the think same. it's been fairly consistent for the past decade, but before that, it the rise of digital distribution has changed the game, especially yes. like internationally wise. You're right. Right. Cause now you can easily, when I'm no longer, when you no longer have to send money to a PO box to get a game from me, like, and I can just like publish it no matter where I live, you get like a, suddenly a bunch of games you would never have seen before. Yep, and uh, I consider it most of my job to help people find the the really weird and interesting stuff out on the fringes, because there's more stuff out there than I could ever keep up with. It used to be that I felt I could understand most of what's happening in video games. Yeah. I could do that 20 years ago. Not now. I, I am constantly darting between scenes and games and trying to like make notes of what's where so i can go back and look at it later right. and sometimes i manage to yeah because that's i think i think that's also like a very healthy thing for the medium um just like the recognition that nobody can you know keep up with all of video games i think i think that sentiments existed for a while back when you know you bought an nes and they were like 500 games on it that's uh sustainable i guess like mentally but now there's there there there's infinite we've we've had nigh infinite games yep and i am just stupid enough to try and keep up with them all which what is why i have a steam wish list that is 2048 items long yeah i have <laughs> that sounds like my oh i can't i can't look at it anymore because it's it doesn't show it in Firefox, but my Bandcamp, uh, to just my to listen to list is like three thousand pages. Yeah, that sounds about right. It's like a wholly unsustainable. But what is the most recent kind of like uh, subgenre, subcategory, little niche you found yourself in? Um. Well, this past week, my personal obsession has been um. Things that have been made with the Doom engine. Because oh. Doom turned 30 um, years old um, just a couple of days ago. And there are approximately 115 games made using the engine. 
only eight of which came out in the 90s. Yeah, no, I, that is like a subcategory that I am kind of like, uh, haven't, haven't dove too deep into like the, the, the doom mod or just like doom engine game. So what are some of your, like, what are some particulars you've been getting into? Um, there are an absurd number, but, um, like as an example of like, just how wild, um, it gets, one of the most um, popular free ones is um, Sonic Robo Blast 2, a Sonic the Hedgehog fan game. Yeah, And okay. it is one of the best Sonic fan games out there. And it has its own mod scene. And the mod scene has grown so large that they've started producing spin-off games of it. One of which is a Mario Kart-style kart racer, yeah, that... which has its own mod scene. Right. That is like the generative kind of nature of open tools, you know, and like kind of, uh, especially like the sort of look the other way licensing kind of thing. You just kind of, it just kind of keeps spiraling into nothing, into infinity, you know? Yep. Um, and all because John Carmack many years ago decided that, Hey, yeah, let's try open sourcing my work for once. And he did. And it, we went from eight games using the Doom engine to 115 over the course of the next 20, um, 25 years. Yeah, because like, uh, as people are realize, or as people are um, realizing, I think increasingly, allegiances to engines uh, is not always the most beneficial thing, and also like, you can sort of just make a game in any engine you want. Uh, it can just like well, yeah, the fun ahead. thing with in the Doom tools is they are really easy to learn. Like if you can just doodle a, a dungeon map for like Dungeons and Dragons on a, a piece of note paper, you can make a Doom level. Like that is as complicated as the basics get. And then people just get a little jazzier with it and fancier and yeah, there are like real-time strategy games now using the Doom engine, and there are side-scrolling platformers, and there's VR games, and people have just like built up this familiarity with these open-source tools that anyone can like rewrite if they want. Yeah, and just gone completely hog wild in a thousand different directions. Yeah, that's and it's kind of the weird thing where it's like you know that's the sort of stuff that. Uh persist you know in a lot of a lot of the time because it's you know you you see the interest i mean that's why there were people working in doom to begin with you know it's interesting it's like uh it's iconic it has a very specific feel to it you know like doom doom itself feels in so many like despite the the shared camera view how close is doom to like a modern fps you know Doom, Doom plays more than anything like a, an almost um, Robotron-style top-down shooter. Right. When you get like down to the core of it, plus maybe a little bit of ice skating because Doom's movement physics are famous for being really slippery, and almost all of the derivative games built on the engine over the years, even though they could have changed that, they kept it. So it, they're famous for games where your character can like slide across the terrain at like fifty miles an hour. 
Yeah, because <laughs> there's the, it's, well, why it feels like doom. I want to feel like doom feels like, you know, it's kind of that, that feeling and we're talking about Megan's, but like, you know, are, am I remastering doom to think of what like the perfect doom version is, or is you experiencing doom as it is? You know, there yep. is like, that's sometimes when, uh, the idea of like shaving off the, the, the rough edges of something when you remake it or re-release it, you sort of lose some of, you know, what, what its core personality was. Yeah. And I'd say that all of the um, later doom games, doom free is that's a, a almost survival horror game. Yeah. And I mean, doom 2016 is like, a modern take on the arena shooter and then doom eternal is a full-on like almost bayonetta style character action game right. with platforming elements and it's doom has changed so many times over the years but that original design is absolutely timeless and people are making more stuff with it and more interested in it than ever because today uh, well this year we also got the most famous Doom mod of all time. My house dot one. Right, right. And how much do you know about that? I vaguely know it's about it as it exists, kind of as a thing that where you say, don't know about this thing unless you play it, <laughs> you know? Yes, it is very easily spoiled, but, I, but I'll try and give the, the roughest synopsis is that it looks on the outside like one of the the 10,000 little projects people did where they remade their own home in the Doom engine because that's fairly easy to do. Yeah. This one has the backstory that this was a long-lost file that belonged to a modder's friend who had passed away some time ago. And he went back to, like, remaster it and then release it to the public. But he worked on it to the point of mad obsession. And years later, he releases it onto the Doom World forums and says, hey, you know, this is a tribute to an old friend. And people go and play it. And, um, well, it starts out as the, the quaint little old school Doom house map. And then it unfolds into an existential nightmare that can stretch on for like four or five hours. Yeah. I and I don't want to spoil where it goes, but it, it gets dark and weird and heavy and it wears its media inspirations on its sleeve. If you've ever read um, House of Leaves, you know what you're getting in for. Okay. That is, that is partially what I just, assumed that it you know in my mind i like oh yeah it's like a horror game and it's like i bet there's some house of leaves stuff in there anything with a weird house and like oh yeah uh, it is it's very specifically inspired by house of leaves yeah and like kind of non-linear or uh asymmetrical i, I don't know you know whatever the word is for that kind of uh non-traditional storytelling yeah but the weird thing with that is that it caught on with the general streaming and youtube media circles and suddenly millions of people were talking about it yeah it, it is the most popular doom mod that has ever existed 
Right. I, it's the it's the beauty like of horror, you know, where, yep. you know, oh, I was I was you know funny. I was clicking around to articles, and here you are. It's, it's you, you wrote this. Yeah, I wrote about it for PC Gamer. I, I immediately after playing it, I went to my editor and said, "I've, I've got to write about this." Like, yes. I, I, I don't even care if you pay me or not. He thankfully did. But um, yeah, I right, got yes. to just tell the world about this because it is wild. Yeah, and I think that uh, that shows like a mentality, I think. I, I kind of been thinking about like, the idea of like, I feel like culturally we're moving towards like people are more often looking to be sold to than like looking to find something, you know? If that makes sense. Uh, yeah. And and that is like, and when you're not really looking for something, you stuff like you know myhouse.wad, just like, how do you find that unless you're on the Doom forums, you know, the, the Doom mod forums. And to this day, still nobody knows who made it. Right, right, and that's and that's part of you know it doesn't hurt to have that kind of like something you just make you know it's just just something you make and and make for its own sake and that exists and it will connect with people and then like i wonder are, yeah. are, how, how close are we is there you know because it came out just this year so i wonder if, how far are we from like the my house my house likes you know yeah oh um there's already been a few and but there have been also some things that covered similar territory before it. it it did not come entirely out of nowhere right right but yeah there's um already people like trying to do whatever they can to like build on if not like the story of it but the vibes yeah that's... the feeling of going into something relatively mundane and getting increasingly out of your depth and that is oh Truly, truly. Okay, I should probably play this at some point because that is also. That's also, you know, you know, uh, as mentioned in the earlier segment, that's also kind of like a an element of noir, and a thing, just a general concept that I love of people are just like, oh yeah, it's a no getting far, far too far outside their depths uh, than they're capable oh, yeah. of. Oh yeah, that uh, this is absolutely what it is. Like it, it advertises itself on the the Doom World forums as being just a ten minute wander around someone's house. Yes, and my first playthrough took about five six hours. That's also a good thing to know because sometimes I wish games put a runtime on there. <laughs> I need to know uh, how if where I can plot out how much time I'm going to be spend playing a game. You know. Yes, um, it, it also expects you. I mean, it kind of assumes that the player is familiar with Doom, right? And also is willing to really investigate. Like there is a true ending in there, and it doesn't tell you that there is one. You right? It, right there is no indication that there is a bottom to this rabbit hole, but you have to be really dedicated and just get this feel you need to develop that sixth sense for there's something i've not yet seen yeah that is like and that's part of like the the benefits of um the internet you know this kind of community culture and like working this idea of hey 
games as a communal puzzle solving sort of thing, even if they aren't like strictly ARGs or something, they're like almost built for that sort of thing. I was like, what was I talking about last week? No, I was talking about this privately about Draga a lot uh, and how Tower Draga is very much like, it feels like it's either the cruelest arcade game you can design or like uh, something that is meant to be communally played, you know? That is that entire like um, kind of genre of games where you're sure that there's some kind of meta puzzle there. There's threads there that you can just slightly pull. I've always just like kind of referred to that nebulous hole as weird puzzle shit. Yes. And I love it in games. Like when you can sense that there is just something beyond the superficial and if you pull if you push on just the right stone you will find yourself somewhere else yeah and just like there is a whole second layer to it and you're just like but no one tells you that and and it's nice to like when you discover that it simply exists you know when you know it takes a, a twist or a turn that you weren't expecting it's it's the beauty of it you know uh, yeah, the, and that that does bring me to um, yes, like the game this year that I have probably obsessed most over, and uh, been hooting and hollering about to anyone that will listen, Void Stranger. Okay, now that have you heard of that or played it? Uh, no, I have not, but I know from I know from the, my my vague understanding, it's a Sokoban game, but not quite a Sokoban game. Uh, it is a Sokoban game all the way through. Okay, but like not strictly just. A no, there game. is there is a lot more to it because it took me, I think, about fifty hours to get to the very end, and I dreamt about this game. I I was moving little monochrome Game Boy blocks in my dreams, and. Even after the game was over, I was still thinking about its themes, its characters, its art, its surprises and twists, and I do not want to spoil anything about it. So if you are okay with like a Game Boy style Sokoban block puzzle, yeah. Just it's a really good simple puzzle game at its core. Like you you will get your I think it's $15 at the moment, you will get your money's worth from just on that incredibly surface level. But if you want to keep digging and it will encourage you to, it will last you weeks. Yeah, and that's... And take you amazing places. And it's also, like, one of... That is, like, one of the... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The core of, like, games are not, like, this kind of forward trajectory of, like, you know design is not a forward moving path because you know how long you know when did Sokoban come out you know and like the the core of what it is is as viable now as it ever was and there is like um same same with like the the lo-fi graphics like something can be have like these these really low chunky resolutions and be the oldest game (laughs) design possible but still be a fresh new thing in 2023 because it doesn't come from like uh, what makes a game is, and I guess these disparate parts, you know, but the people making it. Yeah. And that's, um, 
and Void Stranger in particular is meant to look very much like an old Game Boy um, puzzle dungeon crawl called Cave Noir. Yes, yes. And it like it does a very specific like touchstone. If you've ever seen Cave Noir, you see it and it looks familiar, and you're like, okay, yeah, let's have a look at that. And it plays nothing like that. Right, right. It is. It is surprises all. Kind of, it's a puzzle. Yeah. Maze. It's hard to describe. It. It's a right, wonderful right. kind of game, and Void Stranger is as well, but in a completely different way. Yeah, that's and yeah, of... it's by like a, a two-man team from Finland, and they've just. They'd only done one game prior, which was a, a vertically scrolling shmup. Yeah, I was just looking at their their catalog, uh, which is yet one other game. <laughs> yep, and it is one of the best shmups that you will ever play, and it has its own fair share of um, secrets and surprises in there. But even um, uh, like, even if you plumb all of its steps, it's only a couple of hours long. Right. So I assumed that Void Stranger for was in development a lot smaller, um, a lot less time, that it would be like a, a fun afternoon or two of searching for secrets. And no, no, it took me a month. Yeah, for, you know, Zero Ranger came out in 2018, so I'm betting they worked on that for a while. And not Zero Ranger, yep. uh, Void Stranger, that is. Yep. Oh, and it I... is one of my favorite games of the past decade easily i am uh looking at unsurprisingly i look first article down was once once again hey look who, who's a familiar byline at the top and once again yeah. i feel i am filled with i'm like, really prolific with with mystery and like because it's weird i was talking about talking to like friends about movies and we we're talking about how like I think we were talking about Mulholland Drive and we were saying like you can't actually spoil Mulholland Drive. Like you just like and there's a lot of movies and games like that where it's like you can't actually spoil them because they're just like the, that's like how the stories are told. You, if you don't experience them, you know, you can't like are you not fully understanding them unless you're like experiencing them firsthand. And that I feel is like oh, now I got to think about voice. Just too many video games to play. <laughs> Dominic, you yeah. too oh. many video games to play. Yeah, yeah. How do you think I feel? This is my curse. I know, I know. You're putting Cave Noir back into my brain. Yeah. Uh, but the thing with Void Stranger is it is incredibly spoilable because oh, okay. it's one of those puzzle games where knowledge is everything. Like you. You do not know the full rules of the game until dozens of hours in. Yeah. And every player figures out different rules at different um, times. Like, I've watched people stream it, and there have been people who took a completely different route through the game than I did. Okay. Simply because they had those intuitive leaps at different points. Right, right. The, because it has, like, a different sort of... Uh... You know, it's, I imagine it has like a tool set, and how you work within your tool set is yeah, kind of... and and many of the 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 tricks and tools that you can use are not explained explicitly, but yeah. 
the game kind of nudges you into using them accidentally. And then you go, aha. And then suddenly you realize that, hey, I could have used that like 10 floors previously to go over there and do this. Right, right. It's kind of like, now I'm getting down rabbit holes. Now I'm, now I'm on Hardcore Gaming 101, as I fall into often um, thinking about games. Because, Dominic, we're, I've, got a, I've got two important questions for you. You've had time to prepare. Uh, what's your favorite type of rock? The most indulgent frog possible. Like okay. We are talking like noodling 20-minute dream theater stuff. Yes, thank you. Perfect. Uh, also, uh, yeah. um, polished granite. Okay. Because I am a cook as well, and I—that's the best for worktops, and it is also nice and shiny. And now, following that up, do you have a favorite Toho character? I—I I got spoiled by this in the, in the in the interim, but I strongly identify with Patchouli, and I can lazy works from home slightly surly never leaves pajamas always tired anyway it, like this is like i can identify with this strange housebound creature i you might say that i the show is recorded in pajamas 90 percent of the time <laughs> and with piles of books surrounding me i am also a uh, a general fan of the Scarlet Devil Mansion. Um, it's, it's various denizens. It's just the cool. It's the cool one. I can't help it. It's the cool one. Yep. It's where all the immortal vampires live. Yeah, and also tying back to the Doom stuff, yeah. there is a Toho Doom game on Steam. Um, I am Sakia, and it has a VR mode. Okay. You know. Why there not? is a, a VR Toho Doom game that yeah, you can just that's... buy for real money now. Why? Well, that's the 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 charm of just the open license. Just yep, uh, open source tools, open license, and completely unhinged fans. Yes, yeah, that and that is, that is like truly it is like the purest design, you know. It's, it's kind of where you get that of just like people making kind of what they want to make like or you know exactly what they want to make and maybe it's like man it's just the stuff that sticks with you you know yeah i think one of the very first things i ever wrote about um professionally was for like a long defunct indie games site and i did like a, a crash course introduction to toho I'll have to dig that up on the Wayback Machine sometime. Yeah, that is itself like a whole... Uh, do you have, uh, for in the chat, do you have a list of Doom Engine games? You have a, you have a thread, I think, maybe? Yeah, in fact, let me just link that. And here, if you can afford that to... The chat, I the will. Gym. Yes, there is. It's it's coming chat words as I speak. And yeah, there's about 110 there. Yeah, perfect. And at the very end, links to a spreadsheet file with the um, everything in there, plus a few that I didn't feature because they are just like 
have fallen off the face of the internet. Right, right. I've I've encountered that a little with like my fifteen year old indie folder. You know, I, I, at the time I was like, are, are, I wanted to check to see if some of these simply do not exist on the internet anymore. In the cases, some of them don't. Yeah. Or, or like they're hard to track down. So it's weird. I wonder how many. You know, you wonder how many people just have games that simply are no longer accessible just like sitting on their hard drive somewhere yeah well that's like one thing that i um really love about the the doom um world forum community is they've got a huge thread of i can't find this old um this old project anywhere on the internet does anyone have the file could you please re-upload it yeah and they've been running that for years so nothing is ever lost perfect uh, well, we're like, thank you. We're going to go on break soon. Uh, right. Uh, where's my little, we're going to go on break for a moment. Then we'll be back with the whole crew. But until then, thank you for being here. Uh, Glad to be here in like two minutes and 58 seconds. Uh, bye for now. Welcome back to Indie Apocalypse Radio. That was Liz Scott with Loners Only. Uh, we're back with the whole crew. We're talking about, hey, wouldn't it be hard to live in America <laughs> in the break? But yeah, um, that's something I didn't realize until talking with other guests. Or one of the things I forgot about is like, I you know where I live, there's a state option where if you don't work, you still can get health insurance. It still costs money, of course, America, but. Uh, you know, having a job is not a necessity. And I guess that's not true everywhere. It seems very strange. It seems very, even within the backwards place we are, it seems even more back, seems even backwards for by American standards. But who knows? Anyway, the whole crew is here. I did not send that email I, meant, I was trying to send. I got very close, though. Uh, where, what am I doing? Let me look at someone who did not claim it and did not download it. I'll just borrow, I'll just borrow theirs. I'm sending out codes to Indiepocalypse. Uh, well, that said, um, hey, um, uh, important question. Uh, uh, gaming, gaming. What do people talk about for gaming? Mario. What do you guys think about Mario? What do you, what's your opinion on Mario, the little guy? He runs left to right a lot of the time. Sometimes he runs front to back. Sometimes he walks around in a 3D space. Weird little guy. And sometimes Ubisoft give him a gun. Oh, they do give him a gun. I can't believe they gave Mario a gun. Yeah, that feels so in antithetical to him. Yes, I, I have heard it, uh, I, there's a couple of um, YouTubers I follow that um, draw a hard line. That, that, that is not Super Mario. That is Superb Martin. Yeah, <laughs> Now, no, I, I guess I guess I should be asking you. Sorry, Dominic. Tell me about how do you feel about the Gianna sisters? The, uh, uh, the, the Mario across the pond, so to speak. Uh, archaic and jank, even when it first came out. But the um, the semi God, it, it must be like almost ten, fifteen years old now. Yes. But the 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 reboot series were okay for their time probably haven't aged that great but um 
they were okay. They definitely feel like of an era, you know. When you like yeah, that that early indie boom. Yeah, there's something about like, just like the level, like the way they look, that like is like so distinctly like, it feels like, whether they are or not, it feels like it was made in X and A, you know. Yes, yeah, there was this kind of ever-present layer of jank in so many of those um, kind of indie resurgence 3D games. When are, when are we bringing back Xbox Live Indie Game Core, you know? I think most of those games have now, like, fully migrated to Steam. Yes, yes. Like, but that kind of, like, 99-cent weird sort of marketplace... It was a very strange kind of like aesthetic to it. I don't know how to describe it, but it was um, yeah, kind of almost exactly the same vibe as the like PlayStation Net Neurose stuff. Right, right. Which is his own kind of like. It was very garage design. Yes, yes, and I love, I love, I almost, I love gar- like that kind of like garage dev or bedroom dev i'm trying to keep trying to find the right word for what indie with no budget is you know yeah although this i'm i've been playing some um games this past week that really like typify that style as well um there is um picayune dreams which is a at its core it's kind of like vampire survivors but it is shortish story-based surreal and very i would say like indie render core like you just look it up on steven it yes. is and it has an amazing um break core soundtrack can can somebody make a, a good survivor like I'd say this one was pretty good. I mean, the bosses are actually involved and challenging, and I saw the an ending within like an hour or two, and then the true ending a few hours later. Yeah, I, I I'll admit this is uh, one of my own particular I don't know curse genres where I'm like I don't normally vibe with them myself, yeah. but this one I completely finished. Okay. Because I also, I mean, a lot of my issue besides like the kind of like uh, ramp up sort of uh, slot machine is like, I like twin six shooters and this none of them justify not being a twin six shooter 90% of the time. Like, it's like, what if we made this thing, but it was worse? And I'm like, I'll pass. Yeah. I, mean, I think that the appeal of it is that old flash game standby of it's a numbers go up game. It, it is, is something yeah. that you just, when you are too exhausted to really play any more involved games. You want to walk around while numbers go up and you watch a TV show on the side. Yep. And absolutely everything explodes every second. I like the, I love this. I love the look of it. It's got, a, got a hell of a look. Yep. And it has, it's, the story is kind of inspired by, I'd say, equal parts Yume Nikki and Cruelty Squad. Okay. It has got a good look to it, but I am going to close. Stop looking at. Oh, it's got a publisher. Wait, what is this? Who, yeah, are they? Two Left Thumbs are yes. like a micro publisher that have just yeah. recently started up, and 
you just have to look at what they're they're publishing. They do the most garage indie fringe stuff. That is their their entire vibe. Okay. Yes. Yeah. They have fancy pants in their uh, library, which yep. is you know, or flash game kind of stuff, or you know, within that within a certain era of flash game. Yeah, I think that of like the tiny indie publishers out there, they are one of the ones to keep a close eye on because they they are going out and approaching the smallest and most fringe indie developers. Just saying, hey, you've got a really funky style going on here. You want our help publishing? Yeah, and I think people want uh, more of a funky style than they, than you would be led to believe. You know. Yep, and they they sent me a key for their most recent game um, the other day, Schism, which is even more of a weird vibe. It is. It reminds me of like end of DOS shareware era but really lo-fi. Yes. No, I'm, I'm looking at, okay, I'm closing out because I'm looking at those now, but yeah, I am uh, endlessly fascinated. But time, man, time. Yeah, yeah. I, I will be quiet and let up this, take the spotlight. No, no, that's, no that's, me th- that's me just lamenting the lack of time in the world <laughs> that one has. And... Uh, don't get two jobs would be my recommendation. You find yourself with very little time. Yes. I mean, finding indie games is most of my job and I still don't have enough time for it. Yes. I, I mean, I, I get some of them in just by the convenience of having people give them to me, um, which is a helpful kind of thing. But even then it's like, I have very little time to then like, cause you know, I want to read a book sometimes or watch a movie. And my my greatest shame is that there are very few games that I finish. I, I play, I try everything that I can, but yeah. finish very little. Oh, I I I think that's my problem. I'm the opposite. Where I'm like, oh, I, besides the time recently where I I sampled a little bit of every game in the NES's library, out of curiosity, um, I generally play. I like I play things sometimes. Some a lot of times I will play like a series to completion or like a a single developer's work to completion just because I get down these like little holes of, well, I want to try everything they've got, you know. Speaking of like super old flash indie, did you ever play original? Like Uh, the original cozy game maker. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. In fact, fact, I, I, that was one of the first things I checked out the other day when I finally installed Flashpoint, which is like oh. a a Flash launcher slash browser of like every Flash game archived. Oh, okay, I'm getting that. It is. It's really, really good. Like you can just type in the name of any old Flash game, and it'll be there. You click one play, you're in. Oh, amazing! Yeah, I I grew up on that. That those are those are actually like. I, I do understand why Cozy is blowing up right now. Like when you're having like a hard home life, uh, that stuff is really need. Like it's really useful. Yeah. As a way to just kind of uh, relax and take it, take a break. You know, I am. Yeah. It's, it's funny to think about the idea of, Oh, right. Um, flash games were indie games. <laughs> Yep. Well, and like almost nature... entirely lost media now. 
Yeah. Yeah, a lot yeah. of them. But also thinking about, you know, okay, I know how awful it is, but like Indie Game the movie and like all the people they highlighted, they cut their teeth on new grounds. Right. Like they were all flash game makers and and even up until I would say like 2000 like I don't think you see a shift into people who are kind of not who who did not start in flash until like what like 2017 yeah, or or and they I mean there's still like the waves of Flash legacy kind of like floating around still, you know. You know, like Finch yeah, like, um, they comes out of they Flash. They launched um, the new Alien Hominid game just the other day. Uh, well, um, a mm. few weeks ago now. Yeah, I remember it blowing my mind when that game was like you can get Alien Hominid on a PlayStation 2. Yep. <laughs> yep, and now there's a sequel and it's yeah. it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it is at its core. I mean, it's, you know. But I think it's a good example of how, like, where you, like, where our devs get their very start really impacts what they're going to make when they finally get money. Right. Like, the reason I think we saw that shift in 2017 was people who had never made a game before had access to things like Unity for four years and made a game. So, like as much as I don't like where Unity's gone, it is really interesting to see how what tools we have access to really does affect what kind of games we do make or can make. Because like now, uh, oh my god, what is it? Like five years now after 2017, we're seeing this sort of rise in Game Boy style games. Yeah. Right, because GB Studio has been around for how long now? Like, probably longer About? than I thought it. However yeah. long, I think it's been, it's probably been around for longer. Yeah, probably. Most of the Game Boy style stuff I've seen has been uh, made with Game Maker. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. Oh, oh Game Maker's um, back, Voice baby. Stranger. I love it. It's... Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, was it Playdate? Yeah. It has been around for two, three? Oh my god, time has lost. Is it been more than three years that Playdate's been around? Yes, but progress on it, I think, has been like glacial. It's been like getting a new game every couple months. So, yeah, so we're starting to see a pickup in that. So I wouldn't be surprised if we're going to start seeing like even older style. Like, do you remember like the Tamagotchi style LED games? Yeah, Yeah, like I'm feeling like we're going to start seeing a big proliferation of those. (laughs) Funny you mentioned that. Uh, the the project that I'm working on right now features uh, an LCD style uh, game with inside of it. Love it. Um, the, we're, we're doing like a. F- uh, I can talk about this thing. I it's not there's no embargoes or anything. I'm we're making like a. I'm working with. Uh, is his cover coming up soon? I think his cover's coming up soon in the stream. Maybe. Uh, I'm working with uh, John Charles Holmes on like a a fake. Um, like retro collection for a company that never existed. And the first thing he's Ooh. making for it is like an old LCD kind of game, like game and watch sort of stuff. Nice. And that is, is kind of like, yeah, no, there, I think uh, uh, the, the possibility is, is like ever increasing. Um, Cause I think like, 
the, uh, graphical fidelity is so like prohibitive, you know, uh, it like expands the, the, the scope of, or like the, well, how long it takes to make games by such like an unnecessary length, like length for, I guess what you get mm -hmm. out of them at the end. Well, I feel like we're, we're hit, we've hit the point of diminishing returns. Yeah. So I feel like we're getting very close to the point where we could, we could start creating like, I call it stable tech. Yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah, essentially it's like, yeah, it's a computer that will last for a hundred years and the graphic fidelity, like, yeah, sure. We could keep investing in upping it, but it would be like a percentage of a percentage. So what's the point? Right. How, how much is this game improved by the fact that it models individual strands of hair, you know? Right. And and I, I think also um, because there's been this obsession with graphic fidelity, that there's been a lack of innovation in areas that matter, like crowd production. Like crowds in games are such a huge problem that still haven't been solved. Right. You still and, you still have the giant, uh, a bunch of marquee, like, uh, poster boards of people sitting in crowds. Yeah. King on that, like, I don't care if I can get a million strands of hair. Like, when the, the new, when the ad for uh, Unreal 5 came out, and I was like, a million polygons? I don't need a million polygons. I need crowds. I right. need multiple animations to function in a room without exploding. Oh, my God. Yeah, I've, you know, there's oh, like, that's... oh, sorry, go ahead. Um, I'm just going to say, like, um, that's like the great dichotomy of games for me at the moment is like the one expensive fancy thing I own is a really high spec PC. I can run Cyberpunk 2077 at the Ultramax settings, 120 FPS. It looks absolutely stunning. My favorite game of the, this year was a one-bit Game Boy-style Sogabone puzzle game. Right. Like, I think that's the other thing, too, with the diminishing returns is also in terms of... We can go back and forth now in terms of fidelity. We can downgrade, and it still works, and it's beautiful. And now I feel like we're moving into an era of, yeah, yeah, that's nice that it looks like a real person, uh, I really want to go hang out with these characters that remind me of, you know, a game I played in the eighties. Right. Or these people that are these characters that feel like real people, even though they don't look like them. Yeah. And like, that's, I think we're moving away from, I don't know what it was. I, I probably, a lot of it, probably most of it comes down to just so much of the industry was dominated by what buyers, like in the big doors thought was yeah. good and would sell rather than what audiences themselves actually wanted and and then p it almost felt like pr and marketing was taking in what the stores were saying and buying and then turning around and and almost like convincing the audiences no no you want these characters to look like real people you want more graphics because reasons and now just because of indie games and the fact that it's so easy to get at so much content, people are like, no, I actually want stories. I don't care about the art as much as I thought I did. I yeah. care more about, do I feel like I connect with these? Like Thomas was alone. <laughs> They're just shapes. And yet yeah. that was such a big game at the time. Right. 
uh, well, the just look at the meteoric rise of the Steam Deck. Like people yeah. want a gaming PC that they can just like download and play smaller games on. Yeah. No hassle, just go. Right. I I wonder how much of this, and it's I th I think about it, it's like the fact that we have platform holders, you know, selling consoles still, um, and how much that dictates it because they want you to buy another console in five years or whatever. Mm -hmm. yeah. When it's like I I can't remember the last time there was a press conference for different Blu-ray players, you know, right. or or like. Oh, we've got the best CD Walkman, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and I think uh, especially with the rise in uh, right to repair, yeah, we may start seeing more people um, have basically being able to make their home version of these consoles, and most likely are going to rip the software off of something. And, and so you're going to start seeing people take more investment. Because I feel like this is the other thing, right? With these industries being so consumed with the idea that you need to be constantly consuming and throwing out and buying new, that they have no interest in taking care of the sort of libraries of their games. But like individuals care about their libraries. They care about their records. They care about their movies. They care about their games. So you know, just the way that some like audiophiles go through the trouble of building their own record players. I can see that very much happening for games where you're going to have the t the specs are going to be available online. Someone's going to rip the software for PlayStations some and put it up somewhere to be torrented. And That's people are just going to be what's happened with um with Mister with the new yeah. um, emulation standard hardware emulation yeah. standard. Yeah, that thing's getting that's exactly what you that's exactly what you were describing. Yeah, <laughs> and I, it's exciting too because I mean, and especially for a lot of like, I'm really big into uh, art hist. Uh, uh, sorry, art. Oh my god, was it preservation? Yeah, and yeah. and um, fixing. <clears throat> I can't restoration. That's the word I wanted. And you know, this software and this, sorry, this hardware and this, these, these, um, the media that we use is so delicate, so, so delicate. And I think like that, that people misunderstand when they're like, oh, once it's on the internet, it's there forever. I'm like, eh. once it's on someone's hardware, on a hard drive, it's there forever, yeah. technically. Yeah. Uh, but no, the internet's incredibly fragile. I was just talking to somebody about, have you seen the XKCD? illustration of like the basically how the infrastructure of the internet is set up with that like one little shack in the middle of nowhere arizona that's holding up like a huge it's a, a huge important pillar of the entire internet and it could just go down one day because it's being maintained by a single person yeah that sounds familiar <laughs> but also, I know the hardware is more fragile than people think. Like the yeah. original Xbox, um, there are very, very few of them in active circulation now because there was a capacitor on the main board with a nearly 100% failure rate. And if you try turning it on, that capacitor will basically melt now. Yes. The capacitor doesn't actually do anything much. You can actually just remove it from the board and the console will still work. But oh unless God. you remove the ticking time bomb component, you, that Xbox will die when you next use it. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a good yeah. thing to think about because I was 
Uh, Xbox uh, emulation is uh, spotty currently. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, I want to play. What if I wanted to play an original Xbox game? All one of the thirty of them. I would need some way to do it. And I was I, like, I think the Rochester Museum of Play has a few that they've modified. Is that Rochester, New York, Rochester? There's a lot of Rochester. Yeah, Rochester, New York has a museum of play that has a uh, video game restoration department. Well, documentation, archiving, and restoration. I don't know what they're calling it now. The Strong Museum of Play, I think. But yeah, that is. It's not too hard to get hold of an an original Xbox. It's just that you need to you need to perform surgery on it before you use it. Right. But no, that's what I'm saying. They have they have a bunch of those that they've done surgery on to and, and other things. I think they've even gotten their hands on a couple of like um dev kits. Always good to hear. Yeah, because yeah, that, well, that's the big thing they're trying to do now is get like dev kits for like every major console. Um and yeah, try to get try to get as much information as possible. Right now they're focusing on sort of like the older ones, which makes sense. They're They've been around for over 20. Oh my God. I think they've been over for 40 years. Um, and so they're, and some of them are the most delicate because they were just figuring this stuff out. So it's, it's really hard on some of these older, especially the ones that like never really made it out of the eighties. Right. Cause there is like, there's a mountains of failed consoles, you know, oh. <laughs> that you there's, just... I think, I feel like people don't appreciate how many failed consoles, how many failed uh, audio media systems there are. Yeah. Even outside of the failed stuff, there's like vast numbers of systems that just weren't big in America. Like um, Japan had so many microcomputers and PC um, spinoffs. Like right. the, the PC games industry in Japan in the 90s was enormous. It was just almost entirely out of our field of view. Yeah, and, and you know, stateside, we did not see much ZX or Commodore stuff, at least as far as I know. Uh, I mean, we probably did, but I, my, my sphere of influence, my, you know, my uh, awareness of it was not until years and years. And I never knew anyone who owned either of those. Granted, I guess I'm a little bit past that uh, age-wise, but that's close enough. But someone would yeah, still have I a Commodore. I had a couple of friends with um, Z- um, ZX Spectrums, but um, I, I barely remember that era. Like yeah. it was, it was a bit before my time, and I'm I'm 40 years old and graying. <laughs> yeah, it's, video games—they're they're an old medium now, or old 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 which is kind of a good which is a good thing you know but still still such a baby medium at the same time and like yeah. oh yeah like compared to yeah compared to books we're still we're barely even a toddler right right and Com- compared to film, yeah Co- compared to <laughs> books I, everything else is <laughs> barely I, 50, 50 years is a long time in human terms but yeah. also in the the grand scale of civilization it's a blip Right. It's a blip. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was the, when the just back to your sort of the title of like Indie Apocalypse. I remember when that when people started bandering that around like, oh, yeah. is Steam going to be the end of good games because they won't be curated <laughs> by conglomerates. 
Um, and I was like, does anyone walk into a library and be like, there's too many books? Right. <laughs> That's actually uh, my, my, my common... Uh, that's part of why I took the cheeky name of Indiepocalypse. Um, yeah. That's my 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 main rejoinder is like to that is like since you were born, since before you were born, if you had uh, if you lived to be like a hundred years old, and you had twenty four hours, you have to sleep, eat, or work, or do anything. They would still and art stopped. They stopped making art entirely. There would still be too much art that humanity has made for you to experience in a lifetime. Oh yeah. We've like been making art since we've existed, you know. It's it's what we do as much as breathe. <laughs> right, right. So like, like, even okay. if I just limited myself to like the top ten percent of games released this year, yeah. it would still probably take me a decade to get through them. Oh yeah. Yeah, there there is just there is so much of it. There is like an infinite pile of it. So it, I just you know. I don't worry about it. <laughs> no, I don't worry. I mean, I think where a lot of the sentiment comes from is like, we are in our own kind of end times. Right. Like the horrors are on main on the regular. I get like the, the, I think really that it comes from this fear of, well, what if I pick something and it's bad? And yeah. That's also okay. Like to be afraid of bad or unpleasantness is. My question then is: Is it interestingly bad? Yes. Because yeah, the, there's so much bad stuff out there that is just completely forgettable and boring, and that is the worst. Like, it's not even bad. Want... It 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 is the the um the the um the packing peanuts of video games. Oh, I, it is the candy corn of video games. Yes, I love I, that. I love bad art more than anything else. Uh, it's truly like a, a because in my in my from my experience, bad art and good art comes from the same place, which is humans. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah I I am seeing the ideas that someone had in their head that they need to get out. Uh, sometimes they're terrible ideas, poorly executed. But you still see, like, it has that charm of seeing, uh, you see a person in it still. Yeah, like, I'm not afraid of making bad art. I'm afraid of making bland art. Right, right. Um, which I think is actually the fear I have about Hill Agency is that it's, it's okay. Like, I again, I think it's one of those things where, like, it's probably weirder than it comes across at first because so much of it is specifically geared towards a very particular indigenous audience. Yeah. So there's going to be so much stuff that's that we're like oh this is going to land that are just flying over everyone else's head right you so know, we're like I, oh. there there's a the moon in space there right there's a uh you know a an, an awareness like sometimes it's hard to get outside your own head and think what is what is normal and what is uh strange and what is not normal and like what you take for granted you know as being like, oh, people should know these kinds of things. You know, I, uh, you know, I live in Massachusetts. Uh, I, I, you know, I've always grown up around, you know, some degree of indigenous culture, but there are probably people in in the U.S. for which it is a completely alien experience. Never mind, like how far it could be from the Canadian experience of it. You know. Mm -hmm. So there's like, 
it, it and it's like oh you're like oh okay well this people will understand it but it's like no the people are like are, are gonna miss stuff I and mean, you you can't help but make things weirder than you thought you made them you know yeah like because so we've we've had we've only had two complaints yeah like we've only had one bad review and that bad review literally was like too short for the price and uh, i was like that's not valid criticism <laughs> but fine that's that's I, I see Steam I see Steam uh, reviews as buyer beware style stuff. Yes. So yes. I I didn't ask them to remove it. I thought that was fine. That's yeah. If that's a problem for you, I'd like you to know. But the only the, the other complaint we've gotten was like this complaint about why does the world look the way it does with this sort of attitude of you know oh you say it's an indigenous universe or or future why does it look like just a overgrown city and i was like do, do you not understand indigenous people like we're not gonna go out and destroy a bunch of perfectly good beautiful buildings because it's not our style right right we're not european <laughs> and like not a monolith you know yeah, but but even like even kind of like in that non-monolith, like even within there there are very few. I don't think yeah. there's very any. And the only reasons that there would be an indigenous culture to this continent that would have to tear things down is because it's not safe, uh, it's not healthy, or it's it's interfering with something like uh, animals getting through or the water or something like that. So there are legitimate reasons to tear down a city, yeah. like. Um, Toronto is a good example. It's getting in the way of the salmon used to come all the way up through very many uh, rivers into Lake Ontario and up into sort of like the, the what we call the mountain escarpment area. Yeah. And a lot of the cities are sitting in the way. There's a lot of dams in the way. Yeah, a lot of that stuff would probably be torn down. Didn't really have the budget to go into that though, though I would have loved to. Right. No, I've I was showing friends recently those the salmon tubes, you know. Tubes. If you if you haven't seen the salmon tubes, do yourself a treat, uh, listener, and go online and see how they get salmon over dams. Yeah. It's such like, well, I guess this is our solution. Those the fish salmon. Yeah. It's our solution until it's such a point where stop using these things, which, and a lot of dams were like in Canada, I can't speak to the States, but in Canada, a lot of dams yeah. that were built were two things. They were make work projects. Right. Right. So they're not necessary. Or uh, they were literally put in to flood out a reservation. Like right. they were specifically designed to harm people there. Are, so we have a lot of dams in Canada that could just be torn down tomorrow and literally nobody's life would like nobody was sorry nobody would lose any electricity i yeah. guess is the way i would nothing nothing would nothing would fundamentally change yeah of, oh there's not a dam there's water in a different place than there used to be i don't remember there being a river through my town well now there is bob yeah I... and there's no reason that you have to remove the fish cannon while you're at it either no like, no oh, this is like fun keep it there the fish enjoy it i think they do actually that <laughs> It's a thing that I think about. Like, what is a fish thinking when that happens? Like, do they have the knowledge that they're going launched through a giant cannon, or are they just like, ah, oh, this is just like a weird little tiny river I'm going through? Or I wonder if they just think they're really strong and powerful. Right. Oh, they do jump. Salmon jump. So they're like, I am the best salmon ever. 
Oh, I, I am jumping across the entire sky, over mountains and over dams. Yeah, I don't no know. water can hold me. Woo! All the more reason to keep it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Just put it. Dump the dam. Keep the fish cannon. Yeah, I, I, I think about uh, how animals perceive us a lot. Uh, annoying. I know there's yeah. a lot of large animals that find us annoying. I yes. mean. The, there's a reason why orcas attack. <laughs> right, it's just like they're like, what are these obnoxious kind of people just like looking around staring at us? They're going on boats to stare at us. Hmm, seems weird. But yeah, they're they're oh weird weird. Oh, little... Did you sorry? Did you hear about somebody made up an article saying that hard rock music kept orcas away, and so a bunch of the yachts started playing it. And it just made it easier to pinpoint where they were. <laughs> no, I did not. But <laughs> that's yeah. People also forget, you know, we're 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 animals that think a lot. Doesn't mean we're not the, the only the only smart animals, you know, who can reason oh, yeah. things out. <laughs> no, orcas are crazy smart. Like they'll actually. Uh, so it's interesting. Depending on the area, so up in like the BC area, um, young orcas. Um, calves are taught by their mothers to go get a human on a kayak if somebody in the pod is in is in ill health or danger. Oh, because then like the human will be like this is the weird like the the animals developing the relationship with us in the same way that we uh, desire relationship with every single animal is yeah well yeah like like they're. The thing about North America, well, not just North America, the whole continent, like people don't understand is like, so people have been on this continent, we now know, through um, archaeological digs for over 30,000 years. Yeah. And the entire continent, North and South, was a giant garden. Like, that's why when everybody came in, they're like, oh, it's so beautiful. It's so perfect. It's like, yeah, a lot of hard work went into this. <laughs> right. And it's <laughs> with the animals and the relationship with the animals like one thing i keep pointing out to people is of everything that is indigenous to this land it's either food food for our food materials for building clothes whatever or medicine nothing here is not useful because it's been tended for over thirty thousand years probably longer we're not we don't a hundred percent know yet a lot of times because just weren't allowed to do archaeological digs right. in North America the or, way they do it in other countries. Or sometimes you just dig and like, you know, you can only find sometimes just ret stuff returns to the earth, you know? Yeah. And you just, but yeah, we, we found structures like, so right now I think the oldest structure is a 10,000 year old medicine wheel, um, which was like quite large, took up a, a sizable chunk of a field. And I think they've also found evidence of, uh, like, fire pits and stuff that are over 30,000 years old. So, like, we are finding out this information. But, I mean, I, we knew this. Like, the Indigenous people knew this. We had right. these stories. But, yeah, we've ha had a relationship with all the animals. Like, one of the big things, uh, like, I highly recommend checking out um, Robin Wall Kimmer's Braiding Sweetgrass if you're interested in more of these kind of relational and relationalities. But, like, one of the big things is, yeah, that relationship with orc orcas, which would work in tandem with uh, the, the people there to herd fish and then would get a, a percentage of that fish out of it. 
Um, and then also, yeah, like if a calf or a, a mother or a father was hurt, they could go get a human on a kayak and they would come out and they would like tend to these animals. And we still do this to this day. Like there's an entire uh, veterinarian wing in BC dedicated to sort of like sea mammals and sea animals. So like we, we maintain these relationships just in a could be in a better way, especially because right. a lot of the stuff that we should be doing, like one of the big things is and why California is constantly burning is we're not allowed to do control burns. And that's a huge factor in keeping the land clean from this like underbush brush. Um, so yeah, there's like a lot of stuff that we could be doing better. But you know, uh, it doesn't make enough money though, Megan. Oh, just <laughs> <laughs> education camps. No, <laughs> that's the that's the, the curse of it all. Yeah. The two, to quote from Night Vale, the two most optimistic words in the English language, late capitalism. <laughs> it is very optimistic, isn't it? I would like uh, dead end capitalism. Uh, I think that's much more. Uh, uh, yes, I, I've been late in the terms of uh, late and dearly departed. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, one, <laughs> one, one day, uh, uh, I hope, maybe. Maybe I don't. You know, I, 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 I don't hold out hope. Living in capitalism, king of the world, <laughs> from myself personally, of course. I feel like the big thing that's gonna kill it is probably actually the work from home, the remote work movement, which is definitely gonna. I think that's gonna be a huge shift in the next ten years, and then. So, so that doesn't. That itself is not gonna kill it. What that's gonna do is basically kill the car. Or rather, not the car, but the commute, yeah. which is why most people have to ha have to have a car. Which yes. I love that, like yeah. companies get to offset so many required costs onto their employees, like having a vehicle, paying for parking, paying for gas insurance. Like, should oh, not yeah. the business pay for that? <laughs> if if I did not have a car, uh, I the closest place I I could physically get a job is like twenty minutes away. Yeah, and so then with remote. Yeah. yeah, so then with remote, like, that becomes eliminated. Then, oh, well, then what happens? Well, somebody starts realizing, I don't want to go into town to go to a coffee shop. And they're like, you know what? I'm going to start a coffee shop in this neighborhood. Right. And that's, that's kind of how it, it changes. And it will, it probably is going to be one of those situations where you're like, it's never going to change. And then you turn around and you're like, how did my city become walkable all of a yes. sudden? Yeah, I, I mean, I... And it's, it's very different in terms of like the regions because like I part of me was like oh I like I like this place not being walkable I like there being like trees everywhere and not just like a million things torn down constantly to make more room for another building. Uh, but it's like but yeah but cities yes oh I truly like the truest nightmare of traveling within into a city I could never oh, imagine yeah. living in one. <laughs> It's... Yeah, I, I would never live in a city. I, I consider myself lucky to, A, live out in the Welsh countryside. I, I've, I'm in a small town that has like a handful of stores, yeah. but I've got no car. But if I need to get further afield, there's a, a train station about three minutes walk from here. Perfect. Yeah, and I have, I would never trade all the turkeys I get in the world. <laughs> 
I mean, I, I'm in a city and, but we're in the process of, um, so, you know, we had a big steel industry here. That's, that's actually in the process of coming down. Yeah. Um, and now the big debate is what to do with the land, which has been, so, so this whole area that I live in is actually a wetland. And so we used to have like finger inlets where they then dumped a bunch of, um, toxic, smut and stuff to create higher land mass so they could put the steel industry on it or steel, yeah. the steel factories. So that's all coming down. And now there's a debate about what to do because they don't want to clean it up, which means putting a giant cement pad on top of it. And of well, course, yeah. because we still live in capitalism, they're like, we should turn it into some kind of developed center. I'm like, oh. Well, right. Well, Megan, it has to be something. It can't just be oh, no. it can't uh, just ground. Rewild it. <laughs> like, despite the fact that, yeah. it, you know, they, had an they have an opportunity to basically rewild an area and then put a lovely walk bike lane on the sort of land edge of it. So that it's like looking out and then have this like beautiful view. Like this could become a very beautiful place that out of just so much sort of environmental destruction. And no, it's just still like City Hall still has this, we have to make it productive. Like God save us from productive. Right, right. It's, uh, you know, on that note, we're, we're, <laughs> we're getting close to two hours uh, of this of this show. And you know what that means. We get to the point where, speaking of productivity, we got to find out where you can find your, your everyone's stuff and, and uh, promote your work is what I'm trying to say. That's what I'm trying to get to. This is my smoothest transition to um, actually, yes, burnout, is it? Yes. So that's so burnout.it.io is my um, personal stuff. And then Achimo Games or Achimo Stowen on Games is the the company. Yes, yes. I I, I want to say, because you got to say before me, I was like, I bet I know how to say that word. And I, and I was so close. Go for it, go for it. It, it, it was Achimo Stowen, right? Or the thing is, I don't have the pronounce, the, the emphasis right. Achimo Stowen. Achimo Stowen, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, the benefit. Yeah, I grew up, that's where I mean, I I learned very late in life that Massachusetts was a hard word for people to say. It was a very, yeah, it was Schwarzenegger. It was it's a very weird experience, uh, but it's like if you just like let your brain rest for a little, it's actually oh, it's actually very easy to say. <laughs> uh, but you just have to like not let it scare you. So Megan, yes. for, for the. Of the officially like out loud in the audio portion where can people find your work if they're looking to find it uh they can find me at burnout.itch.io and burn is spelled b-y-r-n-e then out o-u-t uh dot itch.io and then for uh my company which we do our professional professional stuff um it's achimogames.ca, achimo, A-C-H-I-M-O, games.ca. Yes, that is where you would find Hill Agency, the aforementioned Hill Agency. You will find a link to the Steam page for that. But you can also just search for us yeah, uh, on Steam and on Itch. We are on Itch. And if you're searching Achimo Games, that'll get you there. Yes, it will that's, also get you all the stuff. That's, that's the thing. Have your own website and have it get you to where you need to go, you know? 
that's all it does because I don't want to work on it. <laughs> Dominic, where can people note. find your stuff if they're looking to find your stuff? Where is your 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 location? I am very blessed but having the possibly most SEO optimized but easily remembered name on the internet. You literally just type my name in, plus .com, and you've got my splash page. Or you just type in my name in Google and you find my work everywhere. Yes, no, as or if we found out today on this show, just search games you like and you've got pretty good SEO there too as well. Yeah, I, I am... I, I don't intentionally turn up everywhere. I just seem to do it naturally. I, I don't know how. I think it benefits from being a loud voice for little things, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to be louder every year. Perfect. No, I, I recommend it because that's the, that's the thing. Right. You know, you just, you need to, you need to, uh, chasing, I think chasing SEO and chasing like, the articles you think people want to have written will only benefit you like in the short term, really, I guess, kind of not really. Um, but if you write the things you're passionate about, people will find it, you know, it's just, uh, yeah. you got to take and, one on the uh, chain every now and then. <laughs> my big new year's resolution is to set up a Patreon and start to do this, um, fully independently. Well, perfect. So if you're if you're out there listening, if you're listening to this in 2024, maybe try searching Dominic Harrison and write Patreon at the end, and maybe there will be a Patreon there. Yep, and I will be adding, be that, adding to that to my splash, splash. splash yes. page. Splash page perfect. Ah, ah, perfect. And of course, I, your host, you can find IndiePolyclips at IndiePolyclips dot com. Uh, IndiePolyclips has a Patreon where you can get. Uh, yearly subscriptions and in, in addition to monthly ones you can get uh for only five dollars a month you can get uh what's the word i'm looking for you can get the, the solely commission games at indiepocalypse commissions each month if you want like fresh new games from uh cool independent developers you can get those there for the price of less than a triple a video game even uh i got uh tapes indiepocalypse.com slash tapes if you'd like to purchase physical editions of Indiepocalypse, uh, talking about, you know, just putting stuff out into the physical space. I've been doing that. Uh, there's over a hundred USB sticks floating around that have copies of Indiepocalypse on them that I no longer own. They're in possession of, and those will like sit around theoretically. I think that's a cool thing to do. I think indie devs keep an eye on me. I'm, I think, I've been I've been beating the drum of like, hey, get your game out physically, and I'm just gonna uh, make people do it by doing it for them. I'm gonna offer that at some point next year, probably. So if you and if you want to just join Play on Indiepocalypse, so that's indiepocalypse.com/submit. Submit your game, and it too can be included and in, uh, get uh, somewhere between forty to sixty dollars, and then. You know, like six or seven bucks every year, maybe every six months, you know, depending on how it does. Not a lot, but it's not zero. Uh, and and spreading the word increases that exponentially, you know, or not exponentially, but the more you say it, the more people get it, the more that money grows. And then eventually, uh, you know, indie anthologies are never a sustainable source of income, but if there's a successful one, 
maybe more people will make more consistently and then maybe like no budget garage devs can submit to like six anthologies over the course of a year and make like I, I, I think I want more devs to make like short story collections, quote unquote, you know, short game collections among their various little short games they make. That's only because I uh, stress about money and don't know how don't know how to worry about not having it anymore. Uh, so I guess I think about that a lot and project that onto other people. But maybe you don't worry about that. And that's cool. Um, that's it, I think. I don't think I have anything else to say. I think I hit all my URL extensions. Um, uh, uh, yes, that's all of them. I wasn't looking at any. I was just thinking in my brain about them. But I said, Dominic, Megan, thank you for joining me here today. Here today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Glad, glad to have you. Glad to have this... Glad to do the show. It's it's a fun thing as I close out the like the fourth year of doing this show or third year of doing this show. Fun to hang out. Fun to, you know, because as I say often on the show, what are the odds that we would all be in the same physical space to hang out? It's like very low. Probably. What's the pity? In, like increasingly approaches zero, you know. But on the internet you can get anyone together in a room to and they can just hang out it is true uh, but that said i'm finding fubar giving one last farewell as i transition to the outro song goodbye everyone bye 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 <laughs>